Welcome to the Dewhawk Digest, the podcast that keeps you informed on all things Loras College. In this episode, I'm joined in the studio by Father Eugene Kutch, who will share some stories and memories of Loras College. I'm Robert Waterbury, Assistant Director of Campus Communications, and along with Father Kutch, we are joined by Bobby Earls, Director of Alumni Relations. Father, Bobby, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Robert. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us, and I can't wait to get some get some stories from Father Kutch about his think, time here at Loris. I think we're going to learn a lot today. Yeah. I know I'm going to learn a lot today. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Well, my first association with Loris was as a, as a student, and I was here from 44 to 47. I graduated in 47. Prior to that, I had been at Loris Academy. It was the... Catholic Boys High School, and um, and then following my ordination um, in 1951, I um, I was at Loris Academy on the faculty from 52 to 56, and then I was uh, appointed to Loris College as the dean of men. <clears throat> as we only had men in those days, and so mm-hmm. there no need to say dean of, dean of students, and uh, so I joined the faculty and the administration in August of 56. Mm-hmm. And at that time, uh, the Loris campus comprised what is now the upper campus, the, uh, that which is uh, west of Cox Street. Mm-hmm. And uh, the lower campus was pretty much used by Loris Academy. Loris Academy would uh, uh, close in, in uh, uh, 59 and uh, that's when Wallard High School began. And at that time, then the, uh, the college took over all of the lower campus, mm-hmm. the buildings and the space and so on. So, I found it interesting you were sharing as well that back in the day when there were high school students and college students sharing the campus, although, as you mentioned, divided by Cox Street, you all shared your meals together. Yeah. Talk a little bit about okay. that. Yeah, we at that time we had about uh, 12, 14 priests who uh, were on the Loris Academy faculty, and we had about 100 boarders, besides the city and area students that came to Loris Academy. And um, uh, the priests shared the, the dining room with the college priests. At that time, we all, we had a uh, the fa- faculty re- refectory or dining room, as you would say, and um, and the uh, students from both the academy, the resident students from the academy, as well as from the college, uh, you know, used the dining room. Mm-hmm. That, uh, in those years, we had a dining room, not a right. cafeteria, <laughs> which is a little bit different. Right, <laughs> and what a great recruitment tool, because yeah. with academy students on campus, it seemed probably very natural for many of them to stay and continue on at Loris College. They did. Mm-hmm. That's wonderful. I yeah. know we've met a lot of alumni who were academy grads and Loris graduates. So here at Loris, you majored in mathematics. Yes, I did. You were really interested in math. At that time, I was interested in, well, I was fairly good at mathematics, as I knew it in those days. And and um, so I, uh, I majored in mathematics, which seminary students usually didn't do. <laughs> 
But in those years, uh, there was a, uh, a plan of trying to have a, a priest uh, be present in every department of the college. And uh, so uh, I never thought about that specifically, but, but uh, I certainly wasn't discouraged from majoring in mathematics. And um, later on, we'd have other uh, seminarians that would follow along and, and major, and Father John Friedel was mm-hmm. probably the best example of that. Sure. And uh, so on. So when I was appointed to the college and, and to be a member of the, of the faculty, I did uh, some teaching, usually about an hour a day, uh, and then also part of the administration as the dean of students. Um, one of my principal duties was to be the dean of Kane Hall. And at that time, Kane Hall, from second through the fifth floors, were occupied by students and some faculty. Some of the priest faculty uh, lived in the wings of, of some of those floors. And um, so that was one of my principal duties. And we had about 300 students sure. that lived in Kane Hall at that time. And so, but I had other duties as well. But my, the students I got to know best were those that. I ran into quite frequently in those in those years. Well, I have to say too, in at alumni events across the country, people always say, "Oh, I was in Kane Hall, and Father Kutch was the dean of students at the time, and we were always trying to figure out ways to sneak out of Kane, and we think we did it, and he didn't notice." I'm just kind of curious. Did did you ever know that some of these students? Because I'm thinking you're probably like a parent, where they knew all along, but you were letting the children feel like they were getting away with something. Well, uh, one of the things is to. Uh, Give them a sense that I'm, I was everywhere, but really it wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and, uh, so that was part of it. But in those years, uh, the rooms had transoms, mm-hmm. you know, and being six feet five inches, uh, you know, I stand pretty tall, and I would be accused every once in a while of peeking through the transoms. <laughs> <laughs> that would definitely keep me in line. Yes, absolutely. So. so but in those early years, beginning in 56, maybe for <clears throat> three, at most four years, um, I had two assistants who were faculty members. And um, so then we, we uh, got the idea of getting uh, uh, older students more involved in, in uh, being a presence in the various, on the various levels of Kane Hall. Mm-hmm. And so we began what we... Uh, what is very common today is, and that is resident assistants. Sure. So we had two on each floor. We began by calling them hall counselors, and later on we found out that really wasn't a good name because they really weren't counselors. Sure. Although they were very important presence. Mm-hmm. And so with the advent of that development, um, uh, the my, myself and the my assistant, or assistants as the case may have been, uh, we had, uh, we were less involved with them. We allowed the the resident assistants to, mm-hmm. to uh, kind of check. Of course, in those night, in those days, we we had bed check. Sure. <laughs> uh, every every night except all uh, Saturday and well Friday and Saturday, I believe it was. Yeah. Okay. And, yeah. Uh, so, but. Uh, was very different. Absolutely. And in those years, most of the students in Kane Hall were freshmen. 
Uh, actually, we didn't have much uh, residence uh, facilities beyond that. Um, we had, I think, at St. Joseph's Hall, I think we had about 60 students. And uh, Roman Hall was for seminarians <clears throat> over whom I had no uh, responsibility. And um, um, what was called Smith, or was, Smith Hall was for Dominican students. Okay. You know, see. So, so most of our students, uh, if they were from out of town, they would, would, would spend their freshman year on campus. And then the vast majority of them would move off campus after that. <clears throat> Got it. You've probably seen a lot of changes over oh the years, yes, uh, really. both close up and from afar, of mm-hmm. how Loris has grown and evolved. Yeah. What what strikes you as the biggest change, other than maybe women coming to campus? What are some of the big changes? Well, I think one of the big changes was that Loris gradually changed from being a a campus with a minority of students living off on campus, but the rest off campus, or as, as city students, uh, commuting students. Sure. And um, but gradually, in the early uh, '60s, Beckman Hall was built, uh, Bins was built, and uh, then the uh, when the cafeteria. <coughs> uh, at the time, uh, the uh, second level of the cafeteria was a residence as well. We mm-hmm. had about 40 students there. Sure. And um, so it changed from being um, a case where we had a minority of students on campus to being one where the vast majority were on campus. And the, uh, the tone of life really changed over the, in the process of that. That uh, the 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 campus became more and more the center of activity, and and uh, presence of the students mm-hmm. uh, as that took place. One of the things that was very significant too about Loris in those days was we had a an excellent intramural sports program. El Shram was a member of the uh, athletic department. Absolutely, just an excellent organizer, and he really. <laughs> He really cracked the whip. He knew how to keep the students in line. He certainly did. (laughs) And it it, uh, was well run, and uh, there was tremendous participation. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that was really that really added a lot to the the life of the students generally, among other things. And of course, we had a drama club that put on plays in those years, and Mm -hmm. and the auditorium down in St. Joe's Hall was was very much a part of that. Sure. And uh, so. And when you were here, too, especially in the 60s, you probably witnessed firsthand the whole integration, race relations, um, looking even at Loris becoming more diversity. Talk a little bit about your experience during the 60s here at Loris. Well, the 60s, as you pointed out, were very eventful. I think one of the first uh, developments, which really touched us a lot, especially those, especially the priests on campus, was Vatican II. And uh, so we followed that very closely. And fortunately, before that took place, uh, I had the opportunity of moving from the math department into the theology department. And in my seminary days, and subsequently, I developed a great interest in scripture and liturgy and Ecclesiology, and uh, 
So um, I began teaching a couple, uh, uh, two two-hour uh, two courses on, on on church and sacraments, and so. What took place at Vatican II was just uh, so foundational to those aspects of our life as, as, as Catholics. And, mm-hmm. and, um, and then, of course, in the middle 60s, the civil rights movement was very much front and center. And, um, and then in those years, we began to have a few more uh, students of African-American uh, denomination. And... Um, I suppose we probably had 15 to 20 students, many of them athletes who were very Mm -hmm. good. And um, so in the late 60s, um, uh, the presence of of black students on campus was was a new development to a great extent for us as a college. Mm -hmm. And um, so we had some good experiences with that generally. Uh, We also had our, our issues. We had a lot of Chicago uh, students, students who grew up in Chicago and who had more uh, contact with various uh, people of color. And, mm-hmm. and, um, and of course, some of them were very much uh, infected by racism, probably more so than, than a lot of the, the kids that came out of Iowa and, and uh, rural areas where mm-hmm. they probably never met, met black students mm-hmm. and um, so uh, but generally I think our experiences were quite good uh, one of the things that I remember very uh, uh, clearly uh, I was reminded of this because I had forgotten that it had happened but anyway we had a number of um, black students who formed a black student union mm-hmm. this was in 67-68 uh, and in the spring of 68, um, they came to me with a proposal to um, have the black student union members uh, live on fourth floor of Kane Hall, mm-hmm. and that other students who were interested in living with them, that they would also share that space with mm-hmm. them. And um, so... I don't recall them coming to me, but they told me sometime later that uh, when I when they approached me, they um, asked me about it. Uh, we made the proposal, and, and I asked them uh, the reasons for doing that. Mm-hmm. And uh, they gave me reasons, and I was satisfied with what they responded. <laughs> and so we... So during the year, during the uh, school year of 68, 69, they lived on fourth floor. Sure. And uh, they said they had a, just a, a very good year. They had their own space. Mm-hmm. They were living with other students who were happy to be with them and that sort of thing. And, and um, they became much more engaged. They, uh, so over, over that year especially, I think they had a number of occasions when they had articles in the Lorian right and uh, also in the local newspaper and at the time do you think you appreciated how significant that was or the impact it would have at Loris I don't know if I thought of it specifically I was uh, one of the things that was very uh, uh, much a part of my life my formation and I think began at home uh, the importance of treating people fairly. Mm-hmm. 
my parents were very good at that, you know, and treating, I have four siblings and, Mm -hmm. and, uh, uh, you know, being treated fairly was very important. Mm -hmm. And so uh, I had uh, an early experience when I was in seventh grade, I went to school at St. Mary's downtown Dubuque, which is, the parish is now, has, was closed uh, in 2010. But one of, with the teacher I had in the, my seventh grade year, it was a Franciscan sister who had taught at Corpus Christi in Chicago, a black parish. Mm-hmm. And um, so she uh, talked to us at, at different times about the uh, African-American students that she had in class. And, and we ended up getting facial pictures, that, and we uh, had a, a pen pal relationship with, oh. with them during those years. Well, that, that goes way back to that. That's great. 39, 40, wow. <laughs> you know. So, but that, that was a very good experience for us. Sure. And um, I, over the years, I've had a, a deep interest in social justice issues. And, and of course, racism is, is certainly one of the most um, prominent and mm-hmm. far-reaching issues sure. you know, in our life as a nation our life as a church. Mm-hmm. And so I was especially concerned that when we had students that were different than others, that, uh, you know, treat them with kindness and understanding and be fair to everybody as, mm-hmm. you know, I'm sure I made mistakes from time to time, but but generally I, I, I was respected mm-hmm. by the students sure. as being fair. You know? Well, and in your time here, I mean, the transformation in the culture from the time you started in the late 50s to through the end of the late 60s yeah. it was a significant shift very much so uh, in terms of you just interacting with students from when you started to to the late 60s i mean how did they take a bed check in 1968 as opposed to 1958 mm-hmm. yeah right yeah greatly different and of course the nation i think really went through a time awakening up to the fact that that civil rights and the uh uh, voter vo- voting rights were uh, important issues that were dealt with in the Congress and passed by the mm-hmm. by, by the president, approved by the president in those years, and and so that was a, a kind of a wake up call, the first of a number over the years, and and it had some impact on our response to racism, mm-hmm. but uh, as we know, it's. Racism is still very deep within our culture yes. and our nation, and and uh, I think we still have a lot of work to do in that area. We do have a lot of work to do. One uh, one of the things that I want to say too is to so many alumni, you you are an icon and a legend, and an important part of their Loris experience. You also worked with a lot of amazing faculty members and fellow priests. Tell us a little bit about some of the amazing people you had the opportunity to work alongside. Okay. In my first year on, as the dean of men, my assistants were Father Cy Riley, who had a Ph.D. in literature from Notre Dame, and Father Don Hutchinson, who had a Ph.D. in physics from Michigan. <laughs> so so I, was a, I was young and... and uh, very green, and you know, and here I have these two assistants who have doctorates. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so after the, my first year, then they were relieved of that responsibility, and um, 
Then my uh, two assistants became Father William Wilkie, Bill Wilkie. Sure. Who passed away very recently. Right. But we were in seminary together for, for a year. I was three years ahead of him. And Father Dan Rogers. Mm-hmm. And uh, Dan eventually got a doctorate in English from University of Wisconsin. And, and um, Bill Wilkie got a, a, a doctorate in history from sure. Catholic University. And so that, that was quite a switch then. Mm-hmm. And then when we uh, uh, began to involve the students in monitoring uh, behavior and all of that within the building, why um, uh, I had different, different other so- assistants. But, but mm-hmm. one that I had that was, I think, quite significant for me was uh, Father Ted Charlie. And he had a, a doctorate in philosophy. And um, uh, so he was the only assistant I had at the time. And I think we had gotten down so that the, uh, the, the deans and assistant deans of the halls only took bed check or room check uh, once or, or at most twice a week. Sure. You know, so. But uh, Father Charlie was very good. I think he had, it was shortly after that time that uh, <clears throat> I believe it was um, John the Twenty Third put out a um, an encyclical. I'm trying to think with the name of it now, but anyway, it dealt a lot with with uh, human rights and the different uh, issues of, of of human rights that existed. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I recall that. In those years, uh, we had a student handbook which kind of laid out what was expected and uh, uh, it kind of gave the, the students an indication of what was expected of them as, as students and as, especially as residents of, of the, on, the, on the college campus. And um, so he went through that book and he, he rewrote it in a way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And... Uh, and so it was really well, very well done. Sure. It was just just excellent, and uh, and so he, uh, I learned a lot from him, you know, and mm-hmm. and, uh, and I think that attitude of respecting the rights of others was very mm-hmm. important, and it's very easy at times for faculty uh, and authority figures to be condescending, you know and be insensitive to some of those issues. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, uh, my uh, working with him was, was really a great plus for me. Sure. And for those who had to deal with me. Sure. <laughs> so, uh, so that was extremely significant. Another thing that happened over the years, uh, when I joined the faculty and the administration, um, the uh, student Senate wasn't much. It was kind of tolerated, and they really didn't do much. And but uh, I uh, would go to their meetings and encourage their their efforts. And and um, so as time went on, and initially uh, when I began in '56, uh, the uh, the resident students were treated more like seminarians than they were as lay students. Mm-hmm. And uh, for example, we had mass. They were required to attend mass uh, four times a week, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, 
The freshmen uh, had two nights out, Friday and, and one other night. And uh, upperclassmen, of course, had more. And uh, so, uh, but each year then, this, uh, as time went on, the student senate would come to me at the end of the year or in the spring of the year, and I'd be working on uh, sh- uh, sh- shrinking those regulations <laughs> that we had. <laughs> and uh, so we would deal with that. And some of those I would decide for myself, and, and others I would need to refer to the president for uh, for his approval. Sure. And uh, so uh, so we, we did that. <laughs> <laughs> Today the campus community is very well-rounded. They are studying abroad. They are having experiential learning experiences inside and outside the classroom. Our student athletes are more engaged than ever. I can only imagine back when you were here on campus that the student population really got behind. I know many talk of the basketball program and the baseball program. What do you remember as being um, very popular with the campus community? I have to think about that for a while. Sure. I know the intramural program was very popular, Mm -hmm. for example. Um, I know we would have, uh, every once in a while, we'd have speakers that would come in. uh, And, of course, in the 60s, the civil rights movement was very strong throughout the nation. And so we had, oh, there was a Father Grappi from Milwaukee who was into social issues, social Mm -hmm. justice issues. Uh, There were several others that don't come to my mind immediately, but... But uh, and those contributed to a lot of interest on the part of the students, mm-hmm. and uh, um, and of course the athletic events. Um, football was a big sport, and basketball as well, and baseball less so. But <clears throat> baseball wasn't a spectator sport for the students like football and basketball were. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but I think the uh, you know the intramural program certainly was a had a big impact on mm-hmm. on their lives in that way in that regard. So, and also the uh, uh, the plays that were that took place down at, uh, in the auditorium. Father Carl Schrader was the director at the time, and and he uh, at one point brought in the Eugene Loring dancers from uh, Hollywood. Right. I believe they were right. And uh, they became a part of some of the musicals that were uh, put on, and and uh, and those those were really very great, you know. Looking back at the Pergolds, there it is amazing to see who was on campus from a performance standpoint, but also those individuals who came and gave commencement speeches. And one that comes to mind is JFK. Right. Do you remember his visit? I remember his coming, and um, um, I didn't have anything. To, I didn't have any involvement. With sure, no responsibilities. Mean, except that um, you know, I was very much. We of course our the what, what we call the field house, which isn't a field house, but that was our gathering place, our assembly area. And uh, so usually when there was an event there, even including graduation. I usually was was very visible mm-hmm. <laughs> for whatever reason. In for, many ways. Yes, in many yes. ways. And uh, so I didn't have any direct connection with him, but I remember, remember him being here, and, and I, mm-hmm. 
I'm quite sure I heard his commencement address. Sure. Can't tell you what was in it, but um, uh, but that was quite eventful. And so I think one of the little known facts that people would not realize is your legacy here within the Archdiocese of Dubuque and the significance of the length of time that you have been ordained, because many would not, for many, you are timeless in their minds, that their time here at Loris has you frozen in time for them. Mm -hmm. Many would be surprised to know that you're 92, is that right? That's right. 92 years young, and you continue to come back to Loris, and you are involved with activities and events and lectures and things that happen on campus. Uh, which is fantastic and amazing. I'm so impressed, too, though, that you are, is it the second longest ordained priest in the Archdiocese of Dubuque? Correct, yeah. And tell tell everybody about the story of why you're the second or longest ordained by, what, two weeks? About a month. About a month. <laughs> <laughs> and and uh, when I was ordained... Uh, Christ the King was was uh, had been newly built. Uh, actually, it was dedicated. I think the the uh, the fall after I graduated in '47, mm-hmm. and um, the Archbishop was very proud of that. And so, for a number of years, he would uh, he he uh, decided to have the ordinations for for priesthood at Christ the King Chapel. Mm-hmm. And, of course, in those years, we had some very sizable classes. And there were nine in my class. And, of course, the Christ the King couldn't deal with that number. Sure. Because, uh, you know, it leaves you with family members and friends uh, turn out. Of course. Out. So, so we had two ordinations that year. <clears throat> and um, Ed Lechtenberg is one of my class. He was in the first group of four that were ordained in early May. Mm-hmm. I think it was on Ascension Thursday. And I was in the second group, which uh, got ordained on June 2nd. Mm-hmm. And there were five of us in that That's group. That's right. And, um, so, but I was only, because I accelerated through high school and college, I was only 23 at the time, which... Um, was very young. Was quite young. I was the youngest priest of the diocese at that time. And uh, we had a number of um, priests who preceded me who were uh, very young, too, because... Uh, during the war, seminary students were, uh, you know, had a special classification, so they weren't subject to the draft. And um, as a result, they were, uh, as a part of that, they were required to go the year round. And so uh, the summers were times for uh, classes, regular sure. classes, and that sort of thing. And, and uh, so. That was why, in those years, we had pretty young priests. Right, you know, exactly. So, uh, so, but, so, but things have turned out very well, and I've been greatly blessed as, as I look back on all of that. And, and uh, after I left Loris, I spent uh, a couple years in, a, in Fayette. That's where Upper Iowa College is, and I was there for two years, and... And I volunteered for a team ministry in Waterloo. We had two parishes, and uh, that was a very, very rich experience for me. And then from there, I was uh, uh, I was sent to St. Jude's in Cedar Rapids, which was the the youngest parish in the in the diocese at that time. And, mm-hmm. 
And so that was a very rich experience as well. And, and then I, my last assignment was at St. Anthony's here in Dubuque, mm-hmm. which is coming back home. That's you absolutely know. right. Yeah. You, so. You've touched many people, both on our Loris College campus community, but in eastern Iowa. And we are the richer for it as well. So thank you so much for your ministry and the impact that you've had on so many lives. We, yeah. we are so forever grateful. Well, thank you very much for that. And but I was I've been blessed beyond measure. You know, that's you know, my only re- re- response, which really isn't adequate either. But but uh, uh, and I think one of the great legacies we have in this archdiocese is, is the impact of Lawrence College. You know, for years uh, we had great numbers of priests at this college and. Uh, in the 30s and 40s and 50s, the vast majority of the faculty were priests, mm-hmm. and um, and we have a number uh, uh, who went through Loris and be- ended up becoming priests of the Archdiocese of Dubuque, even though they lived in Wisconsin or Illinois or Western Iowa, you know, and. Uh, I think that Loris experience had a great impact on the spirit within our presbyterate. And uh, I was just talking with Bishop Zinkala, who was one of our priests who became Bishop of Davenport a couple yes. years ago, and, and he was just commenting about the quality of priests that, uh, that we've been so fortunate to have. And, uh, and I think the Loris uh, impact of that has been very very much a, a factor in that, mm-hmm. you know. So it's, uh, well, and I think, too, the Loris approach to, or the Dubuque approach to seminary education was very significant because, um, you know, until uh, Roman Hall was built, which was built in the early 50s, uh, the Seminary students for the for, for the archdiocese and also for other uh, dioceses that sent their students here uh, was uh, t- the the seminary students would live with the lay students. Mm-hmm. So the seminary students lived on fourth floor. Yeah. Right. And uh, <laughs> and so we were mingling with them. We weren't segregated like so often in some of the seminaries that we've had. Mm-hmm. You know, where you're, you're segregated very early on. And, and uh, of course, once we, went, we moved into theology, we were pretty much by ourselves, you know. But, right. But, uh, so that's been part of the legacy that, that I was able to be a part of and help continue and uh, certainly a great gift. Wonderful. And, yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming in and talking about that legacy and sharing your stories and your, your insight into the to your time here at Loris and I, I'm one of these this is one of those podcasts I'm excited to share out because I know that the 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 Loris community is going to be thrilled to to be able to to hear you talk and to to hear you what what you had to tell us and it's this is a this is an exciting one a lot of treasured memories yeah. Good. thank you well, Father Crutch thank you, Crutch. For thank the you. To share this. yeah so Father so. thank you for coming in Bobby thank you also Absolutely. for sitting in and, and thank you to all who listened in to our discussion we hope you enjoyed the conversation. To find more episodes of the Duhawk Digest, as well as more Loris news, videos, and information, visit the Loris Daily website at daily.loris.edu. We hope you'll join us for the next Duhawk Digest, and go Duhawks! Hawks!